Hey, you have a copy of the Bible with you? Do you have a paper copy? I know a lot of you use a digital copy, and, and uh, that's fine. I'm going to ask you if you've got a copy like this, if you could hold it and kind of hold it where I could see it, like get it out in front of you. All right, that's beautiful. Wow. Um, let me tell you what you're holding, and as I talk, you can lay it back down. This book is God's word to us. And this book is comprised of 66 books of the Bible. Old Testament books we call, New Testament books we call. Somewhere in history, someone took those books of the Bible and divided them out by chapters and by verses. And that's given to us as a tool to be able to reference passages of Scripture, to be able to study Scripture better, to be able to memorize scripture to be able to go to it and find it and and it's a, a useful tool for us over time those books of the bible with chapters in them and verses in them become very real to us and and we can we can announce a book of the bible and a chapter in the bible and a verse in the bible and not even read that book, chapter, and verse, and God already began to do something in our heart and life just because we know what's there. And over time, that particular passage of Scripture has become so rich to us. We've read it. We've lived it. We've applied it. It has become gold and treasure to us to where we know again and again and again God met us there. Let me give you an example. I say before you today, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And as you hear Psalm 23, if you've had a journey with God's word, things begin to come to your mind because there have been times where God met you there and he showed you that he's your shepherd. He, you know that you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe you're walking through that valley right now and that's the chapter that God just has ministered to your heart through that very passage of scripture. I mentioned another to you, Romans 8. Romans 8, so, oh yeah, Romans 8. Uh, this light momentary affliction is nothing to be compared to the glory that would be revealed in us. Holy Spirit prays for me when I don't even know what to pray. My God works together for good all things according to his purposes. According to those, my God works together for good all things for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We are more than conquerors through Christ. What shall separate us from the love of God? Romans 8. John 3, 16. Oh, maybe you have images of a rainbow-colored hair guy standing at the end of an end zone, holding up a sign. I'm dating myself a little bit there. We see it posted all around. We hear the verse. We know it. So that's one verse I know. John 3, 16. Revelation 4, 5. You think about it for a moment, Revelation 4 or 5, that's the throne of heaven. 
And we have the images and thoughts of, of Christ being the Lamb of God, the one that is only only one that's able to open the scroll and read there. Today we come to a, our sixth I am statement. And this sixth I am statement finds itself in the midst of one of those passages, just like what I've mentioned. If you have journeyed through Scripture and you've been in a long walk with Christ, just the mention of the book and chapter begins to have a, an effect on your heart from the very beginning. Now I want to ask you to open your Bibles to John 14. John 14. And you find your place there and you think, I'm not getting it yet. Probably three words in, you would say, oh yeah, I know that passage. In John 14, we have this I am statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And you look at these first few verses. Let not your hearts be troubled. So there it is. That's where it is. John 14, 1. And that verse has become rich. If you mark in your Bible, underline in your Bible, probably many in this room would already have some kind of notation beside that verse as being a passage where God met you there and comforted you in a time of trouble. And Jesus uses this I am statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life to speak to those whose hearts are troubled. And what Jesus tells us is, is that the way to calming a troubled heart is to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It's a precious passage of scripture. Dr. A.L. Gabaline, he tells a story about a Bible that his family had that had been passed down through the generations. And Dr. Gabaline says that it was a German Bible and it had been passed down from generation to generation. He said one could open that Bible to some pages and it looked like it had just come off the press. But when opened to John 14, it was spotted, soiled, and worn with the tears of many generations. That's the kind of passage that we're in today. John chapter 14, let's look at the first six verses. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why would these verses be such treasured verses to troubled hearts? Let me answer that. Number one, because of the context. One of the most powerful pieces of truth for us to get about these six verses is the, is the very context that these verses are spoken into. When I read verses to you this morning, when I speak to you this morning, I'm speaking into a lot of different contexts. You bring a story from your past week or your past years, you're headed into a story this coming week or these coming years that are different than a lot of people sitting around you. You hear this sermon in a particular 
context. These disciples that were with Jesus heard these words the first time in a particular context. They brought some things from this past week and the past three years and generations into these words and they would face some things in the coming days that these verses speak to. The immediate context for these verses is that it's it's the last supper that Jesus would share with his 12 disciples. It was the Passover feast. In just a few hours, he would be arrested and nailed to a cross. And at this last supper in the upper room, he's having this meal with the disciples. And so it's already kind of a tense moment. It's been a bizarre week for the disciples. Jesus had ridden into the city on a donkey. They were thinking of Jesus as their king and still trying to figure out, would he be king right here on this earth at this time and we would serve alongside him as our king? Was it something, he keeps mentioning something about the future and not now and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. What is going on and, and, and Jesus is riding in on a donkey? That's not the kind of king we really had imagined and then he comes to a time where he begins to tell them he's going to go away. He gets to this last night of the supper and they're preparing to eat and maybe they think in their mind this is the night he's going to be crowned king and Jesus takes a basin of water and a towel and he goes to each of the disciples and he starts washing their feet. And they're again they're thinking this is not the work of a king. This is the work of a servant. And even Peter protests against that. He says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus speaks to him about washing his feet and washing the whole body. And, and so here he is and he's, th their world's kind of flipping upside down. This is not the king that we thought. And then Jesus tells them there at that last supper that right here among the twelve, one of you is going to betray me. And they hear those words and you, the, the look around the room at each other is like, who's going to betray him? And then he goes on and Simon Peter's like, hey, we'll lay down our life for you. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, hey, let me tell you something, Simon Peter, kind of the, uh, the leader of the group. He says, Simon, the rooster's going to crow and when the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. So here he is washing their feet. He's telling them somebody's going to betray me, you're going to deny me. And he, 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 he's told them that week, I'm going to be arrested and flogged and crucified and I will be buried and I'll rise again. And now on this night, he's telling them, and by the way, I'm leaving and you're staying here. And, and what's happening here is that their world has fallen in on itself. You have tax collectors you have Matthew who had been a tax collector. He left it all to follow Jesus. You got guys that were fishermen. They left their nets and they come to follow Jesus. For three years they had put their reputation on the line. They're following Christ. They, they think he's the king of some kind, the Messiah perhaps. He's, they're trying to figure out what the signs mean and what these I am statements mean. And their world is falling in on them. Their world is unraveling before their eyes. And the very one that they are following is telling them, We're, I'm not going to be here. Y'all got to handle it. And their world that's falling in on them, you may sit here this morning and say, Pastor, 
interesting that you mention that because their world is my world. A world that feels like things don't make sense and is unraveling at the seams is kind of the world I'm living right now. And that's the context. And you look and you say, okay, somebody betrayed Jesus, somebody would deny Jesus, so that they would feel alone, they're trying to make sense of things, and, and you'd say, that's a lot like I feel. And in a broad sense, we might say today, absolutely, it feels like the world's unraveling. And in a broad sense, you say, man, what's going on in the Ukraine? What's Russia's next move going to be? You look at our nation and you say, in a broad sense, what's happening in the political system of our nation? What's happening in the morality of our nation? What's happening with the economy of our nation? What's happening with prices? We Just so many things you say, I can't make sense of it all. I don't understand this meta thing and I don't understand this thing that's coming from here. I can't keep up. My world's just kind of unraveling. But let's get personal. And we move from a broad scene of the world and we come to a personal scene. And some of you know that there's a meeting coming in the next few days at corporate and you're wondering what's going to happen there. And there's been a doctor's appointment in the last few weeks and you're like, what's that going to do? And there's a relationship that you haven't heard from in a while and you wonder what's going on there. And there's some coldness between you and another person. You're wondering what's happening there. And just this sense of, hey, Pastor, let me tell you, if you want to talk about trouble, I got trouble. And that's the context that we're opening our Bibles to today. Secondly, I want you to see the command. Jesus speaks two hearts that have every reason to be troubled. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, that's a command. It, you, you cannot deny it. When you look at the Greek words there, it's a direct command, but it is, it, is, it is gentle in context. And that's why it's translated, let not your hearts be troubled. There's a, there's a sense here that Jesus is saying, here's what you got to do. You got to make a choice. You got to let, you got to not be troubled by this, but it's not a rebuke for being troubled. It is a reminder of why you can move beyond being troubled. And, and the, Jesus speaks into this context knowing exactly what they're feeling. Back up chapter 12 of John. And you'll see where this word is used before. John chapter 12 verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Who said that? Now is my soul troubled. Who was speaking? Jesus. Jesus says here, now is my soul troubled. Chapter 13, turn over a page or two. John 13, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And you go another page and you come to chapter 14 and Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. And it seems like in the, what, he, what is going on here, Jesus is saying, yes, we're surrounded with events that humanly, yeah, they're troubling. 
they cause us concern. They tempt us to anxiety. And, and, and he speaks into this and steps into that and he says, hey, it's in progress. It, there's enough here to be troubled by. But he steps into it and says, but I want to arrest that trouble right here. I want to stop something that's in progress. I want you to realize that your hearts don't have to be troubled. It's like a coach calling a well-timed timeout and pulling the guys in and look at them in the eye. Look, guys, I know it's crazy out there, but pull yourself together here. Remember what we talked about. Now get back out there. And that's where Jesus is right here. And he's saying to the disciples, yes, a lot's happening in this last week. But time out here in this last supper. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And here's what he does. He turns their view. He turns their, their, their view from their circumstances of now. And he brings them around to get them to focus on a confidence in their future. And, and, and right in these verses, in the midst of all that's going on, he says, look, yes, the things are happening, but here's what you got to do. Here's where you got to look. He does this in his own life. In Hebrews 12, I want to read these verses out loud. I want you to hear uh, what Hebrews 12 teaches us about Jesus and how he faced the cross and this brutal death of crucifixion. Hebrews 12. Listen to these verses. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the, faith, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It's a great picture for us, a reminder to us that when we face trouble, we might call it our cross, we, some burden in our life, we, this events happening, and, and we see what Jesus did. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And that's what we find in these verses of John 14 is that God wants us to see what's out in front of us so that we can endure what's happening right now and not lose heart. Let the love of your Savior grip your heart today that he would care so much to speak into the trouble of your life and he moves on in these verses to give the cure we see the context of an unraveling world we see the command to not let our hearts be troubled to just see the cure what is it let not your hearts be troubled we maybe say Lord how what do I do well it's a two-pronged approach and it's a it's a place for us to to go to in trouble Number one is faith in God. Right now, you're looking at some circumstances that you'd say, my world is shaky. My world is crazy. My world is hard to understand, Pastor. I'm going to give you the words of Jesus. 
The way you don't let your hearts be troubled is faith in God. He says, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And it's a call to faith. It's Jesus Christ saying to these guys, I've traveled with you for three years. You've seen my miracles. You've seen the signs. You've heard my teaching. And I'm telling you today, in what you're facing, trust me. If you're trusting me, you're trusting God. For to see me is to see God. Believe in God. Believe in me. And when we're called to faith in God, what it is, is a, is a call for us to come back and, and take some time before the Lord with our circumstances and say, God, what you got? And God says, I got promises that will never fail. I've got presence that will never leave you. And I got a power that will never be matched. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Jesus is saying to you right now in your troubled world, trust him. Here's the second thing. There is a future in heaven. His approach to not letting our hearts be troubled is to have faith in God and to see our future in heaven. Back right to his words, believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. The way Jesus responded to their troubled time was to get them to think about heaven, to get them to think about the long term, to get them to think about eternity, to think about a place called heaven. And he begins to describe heaven. Now, here's the thing about heaven and God's word. He doesn't answer all of our questions about heaven. In fact, he tells us a lot about heaven that leaves us asking questions about heaven. And we start thinking about heaven, and we have them. Don't we wonder about this, and will this be like this, and will it be like that? And Don't you love it when you get around kids, when they think about heaven? Because they ask out loud the questions about heaven that inside you're thinking yourself. And, and, and we, we have a lot of questions, but here's what God does do. God does tell us enough in his word about heaven to give us a longing to look forward to being there. And he describes heaven and he paints a picture for us about heaven to say, this is your future as you follow Jesus Christ. This is where eternal life leads. And he, speaking to the disciples Last Supper, in the upper room, he's saying, believe in me, trust in me. And he starts talking about heaven, and he tells them this about heaven. First thing he says is that it's a prepared place. Heaven is a prepared place. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now you think about it. Just let your spiritual imagination run wild Jesus ascended to heaven about 2,000 years ago and his word is still happening 
He hasn't come back. So what's he doing? He's preparing a place for you. So I got questions. Listen, I do too. But I know this. The truth of God's word is this. Jesus is preparing heaven for his children. You take one, you take one short glimpse at the bloom of an encore azalea. And you stare at that and you realize, you know what? The God of the universe that created all of this. If that's the glory of one flower, imagine the glory of the whole world. If he can do that here on this earth, what is the creating God of the universe doing for 2,000 years in preparing you a place. It's heaven. And he's saying to the disciples, what you are experiencing here in your affliction is not to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in that prepared place of heaven. It's also a spacious place. And to the disciples, when they ask questions, I mean, Thomas is, he asks, well, we don't know the way. How do we get there? A very practical question. But so he, he, you can imagine them asking, well, is there going to be room for all of us? Is, what about this prepared place? And Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. Some of you learned King James Version, many mansions. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. What happened to those songs? Where did they go? I don't know. It's, it, it, he, he uses a word here that describes rooms, space. It's his way of saying to the disciples and saying to us today, heaven is spacious. Heaven will have all the room that is needed for you to be there. Here's the third thing. It's a prepared place. It's a spacious place. And it's a gathering place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. One of the beautiful truths of scripture that we learn about heaven is that all God's children will one day be there together. Just a few days ago, I sat with a man in his 70s whose dad passed away three decades ago. And he just started crying. He said, Carlos, I just think a lot about heaven. And one day I'm going to see my dad again. You think about heaven and that gathering place where we will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Peter and James and John and Thomas and Barnabas. We just bring it right down through history and just get very personal. And I know there are names and faces of believers that have gone on before you that you say, one day, just like 1 Thessalonians 4, says we will be caught up together with him. And here's the glorious truth that Jesus is saying. We will be with him. We be with Jesus. And the 
the one that we know in part and only by faith now, we will know forever in full. And we will be in the presence of the one who died for us, bore our sin, and rose again on the third day. That's heaven. And that brings me to the fourth thing about heaven. It's the home place. Right now you live in a world where I bet a lot of you, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you feel uncomfortable in this world. You're like, I don't know if I fit anymore. And the reason for that is, is because you're, 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 you're getting more like heaven and less like the world. You just want to be home. My mom took her first excursion this week uh, since my dad passed. And I mean, one of those excursions. She went with 30 to 40 church people on a chartered bus. You with me? And uh, she got on a bus in North Alabama, and they went to Savannah, Georgia, for five days. And um, so on Tuesday when they left, my mom in her 80s, she texts. And so that means if my mom's on her first excursion, I'm going to kind of be on that excursion as well. And I was just kind of scrolling back through the story of this week. And um, my mom sends this text on Tuesday morning at 7.30. We are now leaving the church. <laughs> it's going to be a great week. <laughs> Rest of the text says, we'll stop at a truck stop to have the tires checked on the bus. <laughs> a little bit later, we're still at Love's having the tires checked. <laughs> we're on the road again, and then Tuesday night, we are here. Wednesday, things going good. Thursday, I'm doing good. Friday, things are good. Lighthouse and boat cruise tonight. A little detail. And then Saturday, I know that's travel day to go to leave Savannah. And um, early that morning, I got a text that said, just got on the road. We're 30 minutes late. <laughs> and then she said, going through Macon. I don't know why that stood out to her, but <laughs> she was in Macon. And this is a great one. Stop to have the bus fixed. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a good one, on the road again. But then last night at 10 o'clock, I laid down in the bed to go to sleep, and my phone buzzed, and I looked down, and it was one word. Home. Home. I can tell you somebody who was glad to be home, my mama. There will be a day for us 
when the trouble will be over. And we'll have one glorious thought. Home. Hallelujah. We're home. Now, if you're paying attention this morning, you got to be asking, what happened to the I am statement? I thought we were doing the I am statements. Well, I hope you're asking the question that Thomas asked. And that is, how do we get home? How do we get there? How do we get to that place? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. His claims are supported like no other. He died a real death on a real cross on a real day in history. He was buried in a real tomb on a real day in history. He rose back to life on the third day and made real appearances to more than 500 real people in real and different situations. And this is why we offer Jesus as the only way to the Father. Last Sunday's celebration so powerfully marked around the globe the only viable option for us is to build our faith on the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. Do you want one day to be in a place that is untouched by trouble? Do you want to live today with your eyes on a future that is meant to take the trouble out of our hearts? I ask you to bow your heads and our band's going to come and they're going to give us a chance today to just claim that Jesus is the truth, the life, the way, and all of it. As they're coming and you just bow before the Lord, I want to remind you of this, that Jesus doesn't say, I, I know the truth or I know the life or I know the way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life calming of a troubled heart is by believing that he's the way you stand to your feet and invite you to use this time to kneel at the altar if you need to pray and lay your troubles down use your chair as a place to kneel or this room I'll be here at the front if you want to come and pray with me let's stand together let's worship let's lay our troubles before the Lord let him do his work